This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Gatorade Endurance. Go to GatoradeEndurance.com and use code ONTHERUN20 for 20% off your next order. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and this is the second episode in a new four-part series talking with fellow running podcast hosts. Last week, we heard from Alicia Montano, Molly Huddle, and Roshan Magedigan-Dumas, co-hosts of the Keeping Track podcast, and we touched on so many important topics, most notably, I think, the topic of representation in running right now. Today, we'll explore that some more, among many other things. Today, Chris Chavez is here. In addition to being a writer for Sports Illustrated and a dedicated member of the Brooklyn Track Club in New York City, Chris is the host of the Sidious Mag podcast and the Runners of NYC podcast, which he co-hosts alongside two-time Alley on the Run show guest Leanne Sherrick. You know Leanne. We love Leanne. Chris also runs the entire Sidious Mag podcast network, which includes shows by professional runner Scott Fobble and the very inspiring Dana Giordano, host of the More Than Running podcast. Now, Chris, he is someone I really respect and admire in this space. He doesn't back away from uncomfortable conversations. He dives right into them, and you bet he does a lot of research before opening his mouth about them. You can really see that reflected in his work, too. Professional and recreational runners alike really open up to him and feel comfortable talking to him. He is a true journalist. He asks the questions and gets the stories that we all want to hear. And he's a good guy, too. I just want to say that. Chris covers both men's and women's running, which I love and appreciate. And he's just really genuine and nice and super professional, and he cares. So please join me in welcoming the wonderful Chris Chavez to the Alley on the Run show. Chris, I hear your voice every week on your various podcasts, and I'm very honored that today I get to have you on mine. And so instead of pretending you're talking to me, I get to have you actually talking to me. Thank you so much for being here on the Alley on the Run show. Oh, it's a mutual feeling. And so I'm so excited to do this. This is going to be more fun than anything. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Okay, no pressure, no pressure. So. Here's what we're going to do. We start every episode of the Alley on the Run show with a warm-up. So I need you to warm us up. You do that by simply telling us who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Yeah. So I'm Chris Chavez. I am a writer for Sports Illustrated. I'm also the founder of Sidious Mag. And you know, I live in New York City. I run with the Brooklyn Track Club. Uh, so kind of pretty much for me, it's always... If I'm not writing about running, I'm probably out doing my own running and then in my free time, sometimes watching more running. So a lot of my life does revolve around the sport, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And yeah, I just kind of like keep myself busy just through all the different hats that I wear. So whether it's, you know, writing or reporting a story, that'll take up most of my day, usually from nine to five. And then afterwards, I'll get a little break and go for a run. And then after that, I'll come back and either edit or record a podcast and just continue working kind of through the night. So what if it's not my full-time job, it's the the passion project that I've got going. And so, uh, yeah, constantly on the move. So with your hand in so many different ventures, and we're going to talk more about how you got into those, but how do you decide what to cover where? Like someone has an awesome breakthrough race. And let's say, let's put this on top, they live in New York City. So are you writing about it for Sports Illustrated? Are you doing something on Sidious Mag? Or is it Runners of NYC? How do you decide who goes where? 
Yeah, so that's a really good question because I get that a lot when some people tend to ask, like, how do you separate and draw the line between all your different coverage? And so uh, for me, if it's something that I'm originally reporting and sometimes a little bit more serious and has to deal with like the higher end of the sport tends to be professionals, I would say, then it's, you know, it goes on Sports Illustrated. For me, when it's more analytical or commentary or just really track nerdery, I would say, it goes on Sidious Mag. And that's where I'll do most of it through podcasting, I would say, and hosting, you know, longer form conversations with athletes, coaches, agents, whoever's really notable within the sport. And then kind of to add another subculture into the mix, you know, I'm really enjoying getting to know a lot of different people from the New York City running community through the Runners of NYC podcast that Leanne Sherrick and I host. And, you know, I've been doing that since late October, 2018, I believe it was. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot, but I know the full-time job that pays the bills is, is sports illustrated. So that usually consumes most of my time during the day. And then everything else comes, comes extra. God, how do you have time? I mean, I'm just in awe and you run a lot of miles, so you're just not sleeping. Well, that's the thing. I think that's the yeah. one part where maybe I would be a little <laughs> bit better of a runner if I got a little bit more sleep. But um, yeah, I it's it's crazy. I just got you know one of those fitness trackers that uh, you know updates and, and tracks your sleep, and so I'm constantly looking at it and like, wow, it's Chris, you got six hours of sleep last night. That's a lot for you. And uh, so yeah, sleep is probably the area that I could probably improve on most as a person. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of, it's a labor of love and that's really why I do it. As long as people continue reading or listening and there's these little moments, whether it's at races or, you know, a marathon expo where someone will come up to you and say, Hey, I really enjoy your podcast. That's what really, I think keeps me motivated to, to do this. I love that. I agree with all that. I'll stay up all hours of the night if this is what I'm working on. Like it's the best. How is this even a job? I know. Yeah. And it's just, you get to meet so many awesome people through it, especially maybe not so much now in person, but the reason I did decide to go into, you know, journalism was really because you get exposure to travel and see many different places and, and watch some of the world's best events. For me, that was, you know, the Olympics in 2016, that was a dream come true for me. And, you know, and meeting all these interesting people and being up close with sometimes the world's greatest athletes. And so, I can't think of a, a more rewarding profession. So as a podcast host specifically, oh, there's my dog. She's so excited. As a podcast <laughs> host, what matters the most to you? I think it's trying to find stories that haven't been told before. It's always interesting to see who is, you know, doing the rounds and, and, and been on multiple podcasts already. But it's kind of, for me, sometimes taking notes and picking up on little things that people say and getting stories that go beyond that. So whether it's they noted something about, you know, where they were or what they did on a morning, it's the little details, I think, that really make great storytelling. First and foremost, I think I will always be a writer. And so kind of my exposure to that early on and, and having studying that in college uh, has 
kind of made me a little bit more attentive to that that sort of stuff. And so I, I enjoy finding like the untold stories uh, and bringing them to light to a, a bigger audience. And kind of with the Runners of NYC podcast, especially, I think that's a little bit more uh, fun to do because you see a lot of these people running in the same circles constantly. And for someone, say, in Boston or California to hear their story for the first time and be inspired, I think it, it, it says a lot that, you know, the, the platform that I've sort of helped build over the past three years is, is doing something. Yeah, I mean, you've done a lot. Obviously, you're doing a lot in the running industry in general, which we'll talk about. But you and Leanne and before that, uh, Jean, you've done so much for the New York City running community, I think about being at the trials and there was like a whole New York City trials meetup and what it, you gave them bracelets or necklaces. Talk about the New York City community specifically and what you've done there. Yeah, it's it's been cool to immerse myself in it because I remember I ran, I, I was born and raised in New York City. So I love this city. I don't think I'll ever go anywhere else. And running for me in high school was just kind of like a team activity. And when I got to college, I picked it up again and and started running distance in college. And afterwards, when I came back after school, after finishing uh, undergrad at Marquette, I came back in 2015 and I just kept kind of running on my own solo for maybe two years, I think it was. And, And I really didn't expose myself to these clubs and these groups that make up the the city's sort of like uh the the running scene and it was it was lonely for sure and i i don't think my times or anything like that were anything impressive because i was missing sort of that team feel um so i think in late 2017 i got linked up with the with the brooklyn track club and at that point it was maybe like 40 people um and now it's you know blown up to 300 plus which is insane to think of how you can fit that many people on a track um on a Tuesday night, you're just bobbing and weaving out of lanes. And even just the thought of that many people in one place right now as we're dealing with the pandemic kind of makes me a little anxious. But um, yeah, it's it's really cool because there's so many groups that are, one, you know, they could be social. And so they meet just to run for fun at a slow conversational pace. And you get to meet a bunch of people that way. Or some are, you know, more performance focused. And so you get to see people really battling to duke it out and run crazy fast times for, you know, post in, in a post-collegiate setting. I I used to not really understand beyond just what was a good time for professionals. Like you, you see something like a 13-minute 5K and you think that's, that's crazy. But then you start to also understand like there's people in New York City who balance these full-time jobs or, you know, have families and are running something like, you know, 15 minutes and it's still even it, it, it's just as impressive to me. So um, it's definitely opened my eyes to just a whole nother landscape to to the city. Can we go back in time? As we know, and as you said, you went to school for journalism. You, before Sports Illustrated, you've been with ESPN, Sporting News, Flow Track, very much ingrained in the uh, sports journalism world. So why podcasting? Take us back to the beginning. What was the little light bulb that said, hey, instead of a byline, you should talk into a microphone? Yeah, it was 2016 after covering my first Olympics. I remember from 2012 to 2016, that was my big goal was, you know, get to the Olympics and work 
your butt off to to do it. So that meant, you know, w- while working with FlowTrack, going to meets every weekend while I was still in school uh, as a student at Marquette. Um, so I kind of sacrificed those college weekends to be out there, watch people run in circles and ask them some questions afterwards. And it was, it was kind of always with that goal in mind of get to the Olympics in 2016. And so it was rewarding when I went to intern at ESPN and my boss there really recognized and enjoyed the work that I was doing because he was a runner. And so he understood kind of just my nerdery when it came to that. And then after that, I returned to school for my senior year. I was still, you know, writing about the marathon uh, for ESPN at the time. And I eventually landed my job at Sports Illustrated right after college. And once again, I kind of really helped bolster sort of like I would I would present ideas and and articles about this sport that is oftentimes forgotten when it's not an Olympic year. And so I really used 2015 to 16 as like a little bit of a buildup and establishing myself at Sports Illustrated as, you know, kind of one of the go-to guys. At the time, we had Tim Layden, who's like a senior writer and has been has covered a bunch of Olympics and is arguably maybe the best track and field writer um, in the country, in the world maybe. And so it was, it was good to, to have someone like that to also watch and observe and learn from. Uh, and then, you know, after the Olympics, I hit, a, you know, a really bad case of writer's block where covering, you know, this track meet in Stanford or a, a small low-key meet in Florida wasn't really what the Sports Illustrated audience really cares about in a year like 2017. Now that the Olympics are over, you have four more years until the next one. But for me, I really do care about the sport and I love following every bit of it that I I needed to find a way to channel that and get out of this block. And I decided to team up with a bunch of friends of mine at the time who I've met through the running community and we decided to start Sidious Mag, um, which was just going to be something like a mix of The Ringer or just all these different websites that offer commentary and humor and we're going to put a different spin on it. And for me, I was like, you know what? I want to try this podcasting thing. Um, and kind of like taking a page out of the ringer and the way Bill Simmons has these conversations where it's just super conversational laid back. And, you know, there's no real gotcha question for a moment. I can put aside, you know, the journalistic hat and just, you know, have a person to person conversation. It just happens to be recorded. And, it really was a lot of fun. And the part that I think I really enjoy is that you do kind of get that storytelling that you would out of writing from writing a story. But the easy part is you don't have to go back and transcribe so much of it. And then after that, after you transcribe, you know, a 30 minute interview could take you an hour or two to fully transcribe and get all the way down. So that part is totally eliminated because now all you need is just an audio file. You have you can make a couple cuts here and there, and within an hour or two, now it's up for people to enjoy. So I think just kind of that immediacy, and also the emotion that you, that you can pick up on from the audio medium when it's listening to the way someone is telling a story or when they get emotional. It's just I, I think it adds another element beyond just writing. And so I especially found it to pay off when. I realized that with Sports Illustrated and, and, and writing all these stories, people will read it and then kind of just move on. They don't really get to know me 
sort of as the author, um, you don't really click on the byline and learn more about that person. You're kind of just there to get the news or the feature, whatever it is, and you move on. You're, you're learning about the subject. But through the podcast, I think people have also gotten to know me as, you know, a little bit of a funnier person. And I've got a little bit more personality to me than just the straight news guy who, you know, just tweets. Uh, so that's been that's also been a, a good um, point to, to jump off of. So as we're talking about Chris, the human, I'd be curious beyond the brands. So put aside Sports Illustrated, Sidious, Runners of NYC, Chris Chavez. Do you consider yourself an influencer in the running space? And I would love to know when you hear that word influencer as it pertains to running, what does that mean to you? Yeah, the word influencer is always so funny because I just kind of think of YouTube stars or, you know, TikTok stars nowadays. Like that's the first thing that that, that comes to mind. So uh, and and just the, the magnitude and, and the following that the biggest influencers on those platforms have. Like for me, I don't think I have anywhere uh, that big of a following. So it's it's really funny to, to, to kind of put myself under that umbrella. But I do kind of acknowledge and kind of taking a step back and seeing sort of track as, you know, I would say it's no longer an A or B list sport as much as it pains me to, to admit. It's somewhere around C or D and it's got a mass participation and it's got a huge following among like diehard fans, but it's still also struggling. Um, so if you kind of scale down and you acknowledge that track is a smaller sport and I do happen to be, I guess, one of the bigger news breakers, I would say, or, you know, podcasters, then sure, I guess then I would fall into a person who most people do go to, um, so that that I I would I guess class, throw myself in into the influencer umbrella uh, within the running space. Yeah, it's been on my mind a lot lately. I especially with um, with COVID because I see people doing crazy things, and they're like, "Well, I don't have a big following," and I'm like, "But you have a family at home. You have friends. Like you, everyone has influence." And so I think it's uh, it's an interesting topic right now to hear people. Uh, think about their own influence and the effects that it can have. So I'm happy to hear that answer from you because I think you are a huge influence. And um, for lack of the word, I know I hear influencer and I think like, here's my skincare routine. Uh, and it's <laughs> not necessarily that, but uh, it can be. But so I'm glad to hear that from you that you do see yourself in that light as having influence in the running space. I would love to know as we're talking about influential people, who are some of the leaders or key voices or even brands that you look up to and respect in the running industry? Ooh, that's a good question. In the running industry. Um, hmm. I have to think about that. Well, for me, growing up, my favorite writer, and he doesn't cover track and field as much, but it was David Epstein at Sports Illustrated. And so he went on to write the book, uh, The Sports Gene. And it's actually, I think, probably one of my favorite books ever. Um, so I always remember when I was in high school, I think it was summer 2000, oh no, not, not in high school. When I was in college in the summer of 2013, I was doing an internship with Flowtrack. And I remember how I was still also kind of looking for a little bit more guidance when it came to my writing. And I emailed him uh, just sort of 
uh, hey, I'm working on this story. Or I forget exactly what it was. And he sent me back just like a very detailed email about here's the story that I wrote. Here's how I went about it. And here's like, you know, some of the questions that I asked in order to get, you know, X, Y, Z quote and that kind of stuff. And so for me, that was a big lesson where I was, I, I now kind of, if I really am enjoying a, you know, a long form written feature or a magazine article, I ha usually have a pen in my hand and I'm writing down and uh, some notes in the margins and I'm circling things and kind of writing down like, hey, I wonder what question that person asked to get that sort of answer or that sort of, sort of story. And it's just taking all these little mental notes where I can still learn from. So not necessarily like it's too many individual people. So, I mean, it, for me, it was, you know, David Epstein, uh, Tim Layden, like those people were just, I guess, like at the top of the craft. And so for me as a writer, that's kind of who it was. And then when it comes to podcasting, I would say it's, people like Bill Simmons, who not only does he do a great job of these interviews uh, week in and week out with people from all various different types of fields, but he also manages to run the entire website of The Ringer. And so like, kind of like, I'm like, all right, you know, on a smaller scale, if I can sort of mimic a little bit of that. And I know he's kind of like come under hot water a little bit recently about, you know, diversity issues within the company, but it's sort of, you know, you do when you see something on a, on a bigger scale, you kind of do try and take notes as to how can I do it on a smaller scale. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if that totally answers your question because, you know, it's a little bit more outside of running. But for me, that's also something that's sort of true in the fact that aside from, you know, a handful of podcasts like yours um, that are within the running space that I do listen to, I do like to take some time away from sort of running a lot of because it, it does take up so much of my full-time job my passion project so if i am sitting back at the end of the night watching a couple of episodes of the bachelor that's kind of where <laughs> i get my escape um and so it's not maybe consuming as many as much media and and as much people to to look up to i think so um yeah it's all over the place so I'm not a Bachelor fan, but I get enough messages from people to know that Tyler Cameron is a runner. When are we going to see Tyler Cameron on your show? You know, I really tried and I've tried really hard to um, <laughs> get a hold of him. But instead, I think I was very close to doing an episode with Matt James, who's his best friend. And now Matt is going is to the become... the new one? He's the next Bachelor. Okay. And so um, he is the first... Uh, black bachelor in ABC history. And so, um, you know, I've got his number, you know, I could text him anytime I want. And so we'll see, uh, we'll see if down the road I could get him on. I love it. I hope that happens for you. And I will listen to that episode. I am not a bachelor fan, but I am a Chris Chavez fan and I will tune into that for sure. And I'm guessing that like 92% of people listening to us right now are very excited about the possibility of that happening. <laughs> so pursue <laughs> okay, it. Yeah. All right. When we talk about the Sidious Mag podcast and when we talk about Runners of NYC, as you are putting these episodes together from the idea for the guests as you're prepping and when the episode comes out, who are you thinking about listening to the shows or who is not necessarily your target audience, but who do you picture listening to these episodes? That's a good question because I think it does. It's two very different audiences, I would say. I think with 
runners of NYC, I approach it more where it's sort of like chapters to a book. You know, at the very beginning of the entire project, I thought it would be really cool to transcribe every single interview. And then at the end, you know, with the right photographs, make it into sort of a book. So it's kind of very similar to just like how I've seen Humans of New York, like the photographer and that Instagram account. He went on to produce like a great coffee table book where, and I have it in my apartment, where you're able to read some of these stories and see these pictures. And I thought that would be really cool to do specifically with New York City runners. And then, of course, like then the episode started to get really long and I was like, all right, transcribing is not going to happen for every single episode. (laughs) Um, So I kind of approach that one as like every episode is fairly evergreen where it's telling these people's stories one at a time and it could be, you know, from two years ago and you go back and listen to it and it's still pretty relevant, I would say, where maybe the person has run a couple more races and gotten faster or better, but their story of how they got into the sport and how they perceive the city is still very much alive and well. And then when it comes to the Sidious Mag podcast, I kind of use that one as a little bit more you know, of a fun space for me to have a conversation with an athlete if they just finished up like a really great, they put together a really great performance in a race and we can dive right into it. Or if an athlete retires, we'll do a deep dive into their career. And so I kind of think that that audience is a little bit more um track centric and like and definitely knows the sport a little bit better whereas the audience for like runners of nyc could sometimes doesn't follow that higher end of the sport and is more into just kind of like the cultural side of things and so um yeah it's kind of i do approach the conversations a little bit differently because at the same time when it comes to doing the research for these episodes some of these people who are on runners of nyc don't really have that much of a big digital footprint where I can pull up, you know, a bio and a record of all these people's races. So, um, funny enough, I guess how Leanne and I do our research is just through Instagram stalking and going back all the way to the person's first running photo or picking up on little things here and there. Um, is funny when I got really good at it or showed that I was really good at it. I was like, this is, you know, I think people might think I'm too good at stalking and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so there's that there's that funny component to it as well. So um yeah, and so so the audience is someone that I always kind of keep in mind when it's you know those late night editing um and I'm just in my apartment alone. I'm like, "All right, the payoff is going to be great when someone finally gets to hear the behind the scenes of this race or this performance." Well, one of my favorite episodes that you did was with um for Runners of NYC, you had Henna Rustami on and I didn't know her, right? That was NYC or was that Sidious? That was but that H- was on the Sidious Mag podcast. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Hannah Rustami was your guest. I didn't know who she was, except that the first time I ever announced a race for New York Roadrunners, she got third. And I was like, wait, I know that name, but she didn't even have an Instagram. You convinced her to join. And now I love her and got to have her on a live show. And so uh, just when you were talking about going back and how you do your research, I know you know her in real life anyway, but I'm like, good thing she's on Instagram now. That was a great episode, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Henna is awesome. Uh, She rocks. And it was she did make it hard because it was no, there was no Instagram account to stock. But at the same time, she was so accomplished at the University of Columbia that I was able to find, you know, things through there. And you, you look for little, you know, 
articles about performances at races. And so, you know, there's there's a way to, to find information on people. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Uh- that's, I mean, I'll have to loop you into like some of my group texts with my girlfriends. Give us a first name and half of a last name and we can find a social security number. Like we can find it all. Stalking is what a great pastime these days. <laughs> what what a good hobby. So I would love to know, you have both shows right now when it comes to the podcasts and we'll kind of group them together for the purpose of this question. What's on your mind the most as you go forward right now, booking guests and thinking about the conversations that you want to have? Yeah, so that's definitely been something that's fairly interesting, I would say, in the last sort of month or so as the country finds itself in this period of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of civil unrest and sort of it was interesting to like you kind of mentioned beforehand, was realizing that you do have this platform and there are people who go and and they do consume whatever it is that you put out. And knowing that you have the power at this point to amplify, whether it's Black voices or messages and, and sort of awareness, I think that's the most important thing at the moment. Um, not necessarily, I think, I don't necessarily think that means that a show is entirely going to change and it's only going to be, you know, guests who are people of color, but for the moment, that definitely seems something that's super important. And so there's a balance to it too, because you also are doing your own learning and your own sort of research and, and self-reflecting that you do need sort of some time to process everything that's been going on. Um, so that's definitely been, I would say, challenge is sometimes a word that gets thrown around when it comes to something that's like, I, I guess like really hard, but it's important. And so there's a balance to it. And that's something that I've definitely been considering um, and just being more aware. Um, and so that's kind of been lately what's been on my mind for sure. And I mean, I look at your lineups, especially with runners of NYC, and I think that when it comes to diversity, and I mean that in the simplest sense, that when we're looking at your lineup, are people from many different backgrounds being represented? And I think with runners of NYC, I've always thought that you've done a really good job of that, that you're telling lots of different stories and that it is a racially diverse lineup that you do feature many people of color. Has that been something that before the last, let's say, month, was it on your mind before? Was it something that you were conscious about, passionate about? Is that just how it shook out? Or is this something that's evolved more recently? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I appreciate that. But at the same time, I did have a conversation with someone um, who, you know, and it's always great to get constructive criticism, whether it's positive or, or not. And so it was from someone who just who didn't really agree or had a hard time, I guess, like coming to terms with like the, the show um, and sort of just seeing that the intention of the podcast, obviously nothing but good. And I think I, that goes across the board for any sort of work that I do. It's nothing but good intentioned, but it's sort of also looking at let's move beyond good intention and toward greater representation. So while if you were to crunch the numbers, you know, and come up with some sort of percentage as to what percent of the guests might be people of color, 
it, it might be lower or higher than than what you expect. I'm not I'm not quite sure. I haven't done the number crunching myself, but at the same time, I do kind of it, it has been on my mind at least for more than a year before this really escalated. I would say. Um, because it's important and, you know, like everyone is sort of coming to terms with and, and acknowledging the Reading community can be very white and you don't want to fall into sort of that trap where you look back and you say, whoa, like, yeah, this has been a problem for a while and I haven't really been doing my part. So for me, it's definitely been more than just the past couple of months. And I think at first the big struggle was you know, let's, let's get all, let's get as many cool guests as we can and not fall into the trap because, you know, the Brooklyn track club has gotten so huge that we're, you know, only looking within the people that we know and it's go beyond sort of that comfortable web of, of people that, you know, and start to venture out. And, you know, I think this is post pandemic, go into the communities and speak to the people in person where maybe you don't go to that often. So, um, yeah, it's, I also kind of looked at the guest recently and, and I'm kind of proud of the conversations that have, have taken place. Um, but also it's more about looking forward as to how we can sort of sustain that level, um, beyond once, you know, the momentum will obviously start to, I guess, go down a little bit once, life returns to normal and there's obviously going to be more distractions when there's concerts and sports and all that going on. So it's always keeping it in mind and and keeping that momentum at least alive. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that. And it's it's funny how uh, us runners are making that it's not a sprint, it's a marathon reference with this so much lately because we're like, yeah, we get it. Like we're like, we get it. Runners know this is not a sprint. We're going to pace ourselves. We're going to be doing this for the rest of our lives. And I love to hear that. And I, you know, anything where we can work in a running metaphor, I am all all for it. Yeah. And who knows if we've even hit like mile one when no. it comes to, to <laughs> all of it. Um and, you know, why even stop at 26.2? Keep it, keep it going, you know, make it, make it your 100 mile ultra marathon that you sometimes wonder if you'll ever see the finish line. Yeah, this is the Barkley marathons, people. And we're not even on lap one yet. We're, we're still in the parking lot waiting for Laz to light his cigarette. How about that? <laughs> exactly. Break time. Let me tell you about our sponsor, Gatorade Endurance. Last week, during our little sponsor break here, we talked about the idea of training for life and of keeping things fresh right now. Without races on the calendar and with some virtual race fatigue perhaps starting to set in, I know a lot of runners are asking why. Why do we run? Why do we love it? Why get out the door every day or every few days, whatever your preference, if you don't have that one big goal looming on the training calendar? I can't tell you what your why is, but I can tell you mine. I get out the door and run because I love being outside. That simple, fresh air does a body good and does my mind really good. I get out because it's the only time I have to spend alone right now, not chasing a busy toddler. I get out because I love my body and I wanna move and make it feel good and running feels so good. And I get out because there have been long periods in my life when I couldn't get out. So I'm grateful for every single step. So I can't tell you what your why should be. But I can tell you there's no better time than right now to figure that out. 
And hey, spoiler, if your why includes running for a while, like for the rest of your life, you're going to want to make sure you're keeping it fueled with expert-designed, science-backed, pro-athlete-approved products. Enter Gatorade Endurance. We all know about traditional Gatorade products. We've grown up drinking them, referring to them not by actual flavor, but by color, which by the way, it's not yellow, it's lemon-lime, but do you, whatever you, whatever you like. Gatorade Endurance takes those traditional, well-loved products and kicks them up a notch with more sodium and more potassium, absolute musts for endurance athletes of all disciplines. Those crazy cramps you tend to get right around mile 18 of a marathon? Yeah, Gatorade Endurance helps with those. That's why you're very likely to see Gatorade Endurance products along many race courses, including my personal favorite, the New York City Marathon. Really gonna miss that day in November this year. Ooh, idea. How about this? Recreate your favorite race course close to home by yourself and create your own little lineup of Gatorade Endurance products to choose from along the way. You can put little tables out with signs. This is such a good idea. I love it. Go to GatoradeEndurance.com and use code ONTHERUN20 for 20% off your next order. That's GatoradeEndurance.com using code ONTHERUN20. Let's get back to Chris Chavez. So I would love to talk about the piece that you did for Sports Illustrated, just pivoting a bit from podcasting because this was for Sports Illustrated, but on a similar topic, you it, I believe it was your first digital cover story, as I understand. The piece was called Black Off the Track. It was so powerful, so important. I'll, of course, link to it in the show notes for everyone listening who has not yet read it. Or you know what? Even if you have, go read it again. Go read it again. Talk about that piece. Where did the idea come from? And I would love to know, what did you learn? What opened your eyes the most as you were reporting for that piece? Yeah. So this was sort of after, you know, everyone was posting the black square and trying to figure out really what what, what it is that they can do. Um, and beyond just kind of posting a black square. And I even did went through a lot of reflecting and I was like, well, you know, I've got my podcast, I've got the Runners of NYC podcast and I realized, well, the biggest platform I have is Sports Illustrated. And I was thinking more about the fact that I'm seeing videos of athletes who I've covered for years speaking out about some horrible things that have happened to them, whether it was, you know, confrontations with police officers or, you know, being the victim of someone yelling a racial slur at them. It was awful to hear. And I realized that when you, when I've been interviewing them for years, you kind of, you talk about their performances on the track or on the roads or whatever. And if you're telling their backstory, you start, you know, with how they went to school and how they were brought up, but you have never really, you know, dove into what the ugly side of being, you know, a black athlete in America is like. And so this was I think removing the athlete component to it and just hearing what it's been like for them as as people and, and as Americans. Um and so I ran the idea by my editor and I've kind of boiled it down to I'm just going to ask three questions and just listen because I think that's important and you know everyone is kind of going through that it's listening is is also a key component to making progress and I you know, came up with the three questions one what what was what does it mean for you to be black in America number two 
was what is the encounter or experience with racism that has shaped you into the person that you are today? And number three, it's what are you doing or what do you want to see people do to make change or make progress in this country? And, you know, I was hearing a lot of really sad stories, but at the same time, I, you know, it's also crazy because I decided to take the whole week off of running and I hadn't done that in months um, to really work on this. That's how I think important I think it was to me and to I felt like I had a responsibility to the running community sort of to get these out there. And so what ended up happening was I got uh, ended up getting 14 accounts from very prominent track and field athletes. These are the people who have won gold medals at the world championships, have set world records, won gold at the Olympics, and to hear them experience some really bad things was it hurt for sure and I knew that other people needed to to hear this and so um yeah I've, i i i wrote it i wrote every single word of every interview down and it came out to you know it could have been 14 separate articles but we decided to to go with one and it ended up being 7000 plus words and it's the longest thing i've ever published for sports illustrated but i think it did make an impact because i i i see it shared even you know these past couple of days it's the momentum is still going with it and you can pick it up and like you said if you read it now it still will 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 move you and so that's what it, it was it was good to to get that out there but i know for me that doesn't you know that's not me checking the box and and saying i'm done and like i did my part that's just one way i can do uh, my part in sort of the Black Lives Matter movement. Was there a story or a response to one of those questions that really stands out to you that, I mean, I'm sure they're all still stand, sticking with you, but was there anything in particular that made you say like, holy crap or whoa or wow, I had no idea. Anything that now a couple weeks later is still really sticking with you? Yeah, so I think for me, the Hearing from Darrell Hill, who is a shot put thrower, and just when I asked him, you know, what does it mean for you to be black in America? And he was able to sort of, he didn't have anything written down or anything like that, but the way he went about sharing uh, his answer was fairly, it was just, it felt poetic, but it also felt like I can't believe you know, that this is, this is how you're defining it. And I, I forget, I, I like, I don't want to misquote him or anything, but it was sort of like, you know, it, it boiled down to that LeBron James sort of that shut up and dribble incident that happened a couple years ago. Um, it was, it was that mixed with, you know, being followed by the police and your stomach dropping, that kind of stuff. He had it all. And it really, I think I still hear his voice when, when uh, in my head when I when I think about that answer. So that was that was definitely one that stuck with me. It was also you know a story from Aisha Pratt going on a run with with her high school uh, coaches and someone yelling the N word to her while she was on the run. And it's just the fact that these things happened hurts. And um, I hope it doesn't happen again to any of these people or to anyone in general. 
And then there's that sort of like I had a couple follow ups in that conversation where it was, what if it does happen again? Like, how would you react differently in 2020? And it's sort of that question that it's like you would want to try and aside from, you know, initially maybe crying when some of these things happen. It's asking that other person on the other side, why? Like, why did why did you do that? And um, so, yeah, there was there's so much to take in. And so um, I I have all the audio files and planning on possibly releasing them in a mini podcast series or something like that. Definitely just kind of giving it still some time to live on its own as a as a written piece. But there was there was a lot that was left on the on the cutting room floor, I would say that that should and probably still could get out there. Well, I just remember waking up whatever day it was that it was published and my whole feed, Twitter, Instagram, Insta stories, everyone was like, this is a must read. This is a must read. And and it is. And so I echo that and I everyone needs to go read that. We'll make that required reading for today. That's everyone's homework if they've not yet read it. And, um, and thank you for sharing those stories and continuing to share those stories. I think that's how we really have impact in this space is continuing to elevate voices and really prioritize representation in a way that it's, I don't want to say that it's not a conscious thing because it always should be, but just in a way that that's what's normal, that it's not, um, it's not checking a box. It's not saying, all right, we told this one story and now we get back to all the stories of all the white runners. Like that's not, um, that's not what anyone wants. And so I'm glad that you are one of the people really leading the charge here and telling those stories. Yeah. And you know, it's what everyone is saying is like having the uncomfortable conversation. And once you have enough of these uncomfortable conversations, you do start to pick up on new ways of going about it and asking, you know, different questions. And so it's, it's never going to end. And kind of, I think like in the metaphor that continues to get pushed out, it's, you know, with whether it's marathon training or something like that, being uncomfortable is just part of it and you welcome it and you just, you do it over and over and over again in order to get better. Yeah, it's how we get faster on the run and it's how we learn. It's how we move forward and get smarter. And that's that's what I keep going back to on this show is I keep saying like, listen, I'll be the one to ha- to like, I'll, I'll mess up. Like, I'll be the one to mess up. If other people are like, hey, I'm afraid of talking about this topic because I don't want to make a mistake. Cool. I'll make all the mistakes. We'll all learn from them. I'll I'll put myself out there on the front lines to make those mistakes if it means that we as a community or even one other person learns from it. Like, yeah, like you said, once you get a little more comfortable having those conversations or get comfortable being uncomfortable, it it gets easier and you learn and we're still in the parking lot waiting for Laz to light his cigarette. We've not started the the marathon yet or the 100 miles. So We've got a long way to go. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, we're all we're all learning. We're all getting better throughout the entire process. So looking forward, what do you see as the future of the running industry? And I ask this keeping everything in mind right now, looking at a pre and second wave and eventually post COVID world. And when it comes to representation, we know that we're not going back to a normal. We're going to eventually create a new normal. When you picture that, when you close your eyes and picture it, I don't see anything because I don't have any clue what it's going to look like. But uh, maybe you're more informed than me. I would love to know when you close your eyes and you picture the future of the running industry, what does it look like? I'm still struggling with it too because I feel like we're we're learning something new about you know the coronavirus every week. And it's just like thinking 
that far ahead. Like, I guess the first major thing that's coming up is cross country season and like how many schools are going to, to go through with it, you know, and to what extent and what level and how, how does that happen? I have no idea. Um, I'm so curious about it. I was kicking around ideas with, um, with my high school coach and I said to him, I was like, you know, I guess cross country could be held in a way that, for example, you know, you have a two and a half mile course in Van Cortland Park and you sort of assume that if students are back in school, you don't want to expose them to too many other students, I guess. You just kind of keep to your core group and uh, your team and maybe run it like a cycling time trial where you just have waves of high school kids or college kids running the same cross-country course, you know, maybe spaced out five minutes apart. And then at the end of it, you score it based on you know, total time. Uh, it's interesting. I don't, I don't see, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know yet. Um, for me, I was thinking I was going to run and make a, uh, attempt at breaking three hours for the marathon this fall. I was looking forward to going to Chicago, but you know, it's July now. And I kind of, at this point would be in a marathon buildup. I, I don't feel like going through it only to have a race cancellation in like two or three weeks into it. So um, I just couldn't see any sort of marathon taking place uh, this fall. You There's people who have that little glimmer of hope that something like CIM out in California in December could happen. But, you know, that's still a long ways away. So right now it's sort of taking in as much as you can from watching pros do their own virtual races or time trials within their groups. And uh, yeah, it's it's such a weird time for the sport. And, you know, my hope is that by March of next year, if something like the NYC half is like the big return of, of racing in the United in, in New York, at least, um, that would be great. But until then, I'm sort of like, you know, what, just got to take it day by day. Um, use running as a stress reliever, a little bit of a mental escape and keep that consistency to your day. Um, and so it's so hard to envision even what two weeks from now looks like. So I know it's not the same, but if you want to just go ahead and put in the training for a sub three, no big deal. And you want to come up to Kentucky, New Hampshire, I will cheer for you and like hold water and Gatorade for you along the way. Just throwing it out there. I'm such a good friend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm gonna drop down to to the mile. So if there's a, if there's a track, Ooh. maybe I'll take you up on it. Um, yeah, no, there's you know, no I'm, track decided, in my town. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, Sorry. I decided I'm just gonna instead use the summer to really get back down to to the speed and the basics of it, and just uh, you know you don't need too much to hold a little mile time trial on a track. So um, I'm gonna gear up for something in September, hopefully, where um, you know I turn. 27 on September 30th. And hopefully I can, uh, finally get under five minutes. You know, it's something that high school kids do, um, with ease left and right. And I still haven't been able to do it. So, um, that's on my, that's on my list. If I can't break three hours in the marathon, I'll just kind of keep trucking along and try and break, uh, five in the mile. I love that for you. And slight pivot since you're not going to come to Kentucky and run for three hours. I will come back down to New York just for the day. I'll wear a mask. It'll be awesome. We'll do the Chris Chavez Fifth Avenue mile. I will stop all traffic on Fifth Avenue, but only for four (laughs) minutes. So it's like Crosswalk the Musical. If you ever watch that, like if you're still out there at the four minute or at the five minute mark, whatever it is, no, you're going to get hit by a car. You better pick it up. (laughs) 
So uh, just like that a lot of, you know, listen, if we can't have traditional races, we got to find a way to have a little fun otherwise, right? And I'm all in on these goals for you and I am here to support however I can. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. You got to you gotta get creative nowadays. <laughs> all right. So when we look around, we can see uh, a lot of individuals, brands, influencers, club teams, whatever, that we might look at right now and be like, ooh, not great, not setting a great example, not making great moves, whatever it is. But I don't want to focus on them today because I like to keep things as positive as is realistic. What brands, influencers, runners, club teams, who do you see that's doing things really well right now that either inspires you, that you think is cool, creative? Like, What do you get excited about in the running industry? Yeah, so I do like, you know, seeing a lot of athletes, especially during this time, peel back the curtain on sort of their day to day lives and how they're getting through this. And so for me, obviously, I think that the group that does this the best has been Northern Arizona Elite for years now. I think Ben Rosario um, and his whole staff does just does a great job of every athlete on there makes the rounds on on podcasts, you know. Uh, I, you know, produce Scott Fobble's podcast on the Sidious Mag podcast network. So I'm in constant communication with him um, because his show is just him talking about movies with other runners. And so that's fun for me to, you know, listen to an entire podcast about the movie Top Gun and then not having seen it. Uh, and then I'll go watch it after listening to the episode. I'm like, oh, yeah, you guys are really right about the whole entire thing. Um, so. Yeah, I think they do a tremendous job. It's been so cool, I guess, to see the and, and a little bit of jealousy of the level of fitness that some group like the Bowerman Track Club can maintain while, you know, I guess they're socially distancing and, and quarantining as a group. Um, but just to see fast times and performances being thrown down when there's really no real race in sight um, has been really cool to see as well. Um yeah, you know, I had a lot of fun. Brooks hooked it up when we did a whiskey podcast where like a happy hour with Des Linden. And so that that I think has been the most fun I've had during quarantine was just sit, sitting back, talking to Des Linden and drinking whiskey uh, for about an hour. I eventually did pay the price and like I think maybe <laughs> 20 minutes into it like you could start to hear a little bit of a of a tipsy chris on that conversation but um that that was a lot of fun so you know des is great brooks has been great um so yeah i mean it's just kind of i yeah that's kind of what has been keeping me entertained i tuned in for that that was super fun i think that you and des should do that every week Oh man, I you know, I didn't run that following day be- until like later on in the afternoon because and I remember seeing some sort of tweet that came in um that morning where someone asked Des like how she was feeling and they were like the real question is really how is Chris feeling after that because you know that first Des threw me right into the fire we you know we poured a glass of Booker's and I coughed, I think like right after I was just, it was so strong and I was like, and the comment section just totally ripped me on it. Yep. And then at the same time, <laughs> the comment section was also, I think towards the end starting to get a little concerned because my pores started getting a little heavy and, uh, like you could hear just like the go, 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 go. And then it's like, oh, it was, it was a fun time. I've got to, you know, try and come up with some other concepts like that because Wait, that, was, that was a lot of fun. Chris, I have an idea. Yeah. What if? We can team up or you can just take the idea. Drunk history, but it's like elite runners 
recapping their races or like rewatching them, but drunk and telling us what they were like really thinking or like something, some play on drunk history with professional runners. That could be fun. That could, could be have fun. Potential. And then you really get the stories that, yeah. that someone has never told before. <laughs> yeah. They'll be like, and then this chick threw an elbow. And, yeah. yeah. And you really start to hear about how they feel about their competitors. Yeah. All right. We're going to marinate on this. We're going to do our sprint to the finish round in just a minute. Before we do that, I want to know when you look at the running industry as a whole, where do you most want to see change happen? Hmm. You know, I think change within the running world starts at a very individual level, I think, too. It's especially now, I guess, since we were talking a little bit about sort of the Black Lives Matter movement, it's acknowledging that there's a problem and it's this representation isn't there and doing your part to help fix that, whether it's going out and running with, you know, a community group that you have never thought about joining before or having a conversation with someone. Uh, I think like it really, it starts there at, at an individual level and then sort of also maybe looking toward you know, who's, who is doing it right and aligning yourself in that way and kind of taking out any sort of, you know, whether it's a brand or a company that isn't, you don't feel is doing a good enough job or isn't being as supportive, then just kind of, you know, get rid of them. Because we're all really, I think that was a point I made when I finished the project uh, for Sports Illustrated. You root for so many of these athletes um, when they're at the Olympics and at world championships, when they're putting together these awesome performances, now's your chance really to root for them off the track in life. And as your own teammate in this whole, you know, battle against racism where, you know, they're not just, it's not team USA versus all these other countries. It's everyone versus racism. If you don't want to be a part of that team then there's no place for you. Oh, I love that. Yes. All right, Chris, are you ready for our sprint to the finish round? Yeah, I'm ready. You're going to crush it. This is like so easy for you. Uh, but I'm going to make you play favorites. All time favorite interview. I really like this interview that I did with uh, Nick Willis back in February. I think it was a really cool look at his career. Um, it ended up being a podcast uh, that went for, I think it was like 90 minutes and sort of getting all the ins and outs of how he's been so successful for such a long time was was great. So that one really sticks out to me as one of my favorites. Although like I'm sure I'm probably forgetting a super obvious one. Um, yeah, I remember the first time I got to interview Usain Bolt, I lost it. Yeah. Most nerve-wracking interview. Well, so last November, I would say I wrote an article on Mary Kane after the New York Times piece came out. Um, and it was following up on some of the allegations that she raised. And I remember... I emailed uh, Alberto Salazar with some specific points that I wanted him to address. And I remember getting, we never hopped on the, on the phone, but it was just mentally preparing for how you would handle that sort of conversation. That's something that I was thinking about a lot. Um, so didn't end up having a, a phone conversation, but I'm sure that probably would have been a little nerve wracking as, as well. 
I'm sweating just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, it ended up just being a really long email from him that I got right after I finished track practice and I was at a sweet green. I got the response and I immediately hopped in an Uber, rushed home. And it felt like a little bit like I was in the movie Spotlight where, um, you know, you just kind of like you realize like, whoa, this is like a like a big journalism moment for you. And um, just kind of have to work it into your story, get in touch with your editor, touch base with lawyers. And then all of a sudden it's like, we got to run this thing really quick. So that's how that turned out. All right. What about who would be your dream interview? Hmm. I feel like you've interviewed everyone, so we might have to go beyond just running. Just dream interview. Dream interview would definitely be Derek Jeter, I think. Um, growing up, I wanted to be the New York Yankees beat writer. And I think to this day, I don't think I've ever been really nervous um, for any sort of interview. But knowing that that was the athlete I grew up idolizing, I'm sure even to this day, I'd get nervous. Oh, I like that. All right. Emergency situation. Leanne Sherrick, your co-host for Runners of NYC, she is sick. She can't make it. You are about to record an episode. You can call anyone on the planet to fly in and be your co-host for the day. Who do you call? Hmm. And it has to be interviewing an, another New York City runner? No, it can be whatever you want. <laughs> hmm. You yeah, have to, to replace Shalane Leanne is- for a day. <laughs> Yeah, Shalane Flanagan was awesome on the New York City uh, Marathon broadcast with ESPN, so I'll pick her. Good answer. Good answer. Do you have a runner crush? Like a pro runner, oh, famous runner crush? What? Oh, not pro pro runner? Yeah. Um, oh, but I now I want the other answer, too. <laughs> pro runner, I can't say. Yeah, but a pro runner professionally, I don't think I could say. Um, and actually, what? I don't think I do. Um, I don't think I do have a runner crush like pro, pro runner. Um, on the other side, I can't, I can't do that on this podcast. Come on. You can't blow me up like that. I am single though. (laughs) What if you whisper it and I promise to bleep it out and it's just like torture for everyone listening? Nope. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I know you'll throw in the bleep. (laughs) Of course. Oh my God. I would never not do that. So you'll tell me when we're done recording. Okay. If you were all really missing running with people right now, if you could go for a run with anyone, who would it be? Oh, well, my co-host, Jean Mack, my former co-host, she's out in San Francisco and she's like a mom to me. Uh, She's like one of my best friends. I was supposed to be uh, the bridesman in her wedding uh, this summer, but that's been postponed. So uh, what I would give to go on a run with Jean right now. Oh, if you could only race one distance for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh, I love the half marathon. If I could get really fast at the half marathon, that'd be a lot of fun. Because half marathons are also like the best event to loop friends into, I think. Because um, I've got friends of mine from college who just picked up running during the pandemic and they're getting really into it. And they were just like, hey, you know, down the road, let's do a half marathon. And I said, guys, I've been telling you to do this for years. <laughs> like this, this, this would be great. We could go to Vegas and run a half marathon or San Diego and run a half marathon um, and just make a whole weekend out of it. I can't believe it's taking you guys this long to figure out. I love it. The runner peer pressure. All right, Chris, last thing I need from you, give everyone listening a reason to run today. Try and find, you know, a real purpose to what it, like what this run means to you today it could be a stress reliever um it could be you're having a bad day the run could really turn things around and or make you feel even if you're already feeling great then it'll make you feel even better so i think 
no matter what, a run only does good. Unless maybe sometimes you have a really bad workout, but you can't get too hung up on it. Like I think you you just always have to know that you're making progress no matter what. It could be a bad workout. It could be, you know, a really humid, hot, sweaty run. But in the end, you're going to make progress um, and, and get better because of it. I love it. Chris, thank you so much for doing this. I really mean it when I say that I am so grateful for your voice and your work and I look up to you so much in the industry. So thank you for sharing a little bit of your magic here with us today and know that the whole Alley on the Run Show community is here supporting you and cheering you on and eager to read or listen to the next thing that you share. No, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thank you so much for being here for the second episode in this four-part podcaster conversation series. Make sure you go support Chris and the great work he's doing with both the Sidious Mag podcast and the Runners of NYC podcast. Listen to some episodes. Tell me all about them. I'm Allie on the Run One on Instagram and Twitter, and I'm on the Allie on the Run Facebook page, as well as in the Allie on the Run Show Best Running Friends Facebook group. Finally, let's all give a big thank you to Gatorade Endurance for sponsoring this episode of the Alley on the Run show. Remember, you can go to GatoradeEndurance.com and use code ONTHERUN20 to get 20% off your next order. Keep getting uncomfortable, keep changing the world, keep using your voice for good, and thanks for joining me on the run.